Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Think and Reform podcast. Joel and John are with me right now. Jim is on vacation, so he will not be joining us today. We got a lot of talk about. It's been a while since we recorded a podcast. We've switched studios or basements, if you will. And now we're ready to keep on going, ready to keep recording, confronting the wickedness wherever we see it with a biblical mind uh, worldview and a theonomic mindset with God's law as a standard of justice and the full counsel of God as a standard standard of righteousness in all areas of life. Dad, what do you got for us this week? Yeah, um, it's a favorite topic of mine, but it is a gift, shall we say, that keeps on giving. It's that socialism thing that we're all obsessed with. And I, on my way in here this morning, I looked up and, you know, and there was this buzzard like cruising through this turkey buzzard, this vulture, cruising around the sky, looking for something dead, right? And you could say, I, I was thinking about socialists and vultures <laughs> because they, they only eat dead stuff, but it's because something lived at one time that they can live. In other words, it's not, you have to have life before you can before you can have death like that and they eat the dead stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this on my way in here this morning and from uh, Alvin Schmidt's book, uh, How Christianity Changed the World, he talks about the early socialist experiments here in in the United what is now the United States, for, both in Virginia and, and Massachusetts and how the socialist experiments almost killed everybody off, almost. And he says, the first English settlers in America landed in 1607, called their settlement in the New World Jamestown. Headed by Captain John Smith, the colonists were economically organized as a socialistic community requiring all the settlers to give all products of their labor to the common store. Now, why is it, after this grand failure, that we still stand around and say, well, it, it, it sounds good on paper. No, it sounds terrible on paper, Um, and it was terrible in fact. Individuals had no private property and no economic freedom. The system quickly turned disastrous, bringing famine and starvation. Said an early historian, it was a premium for idleness and just suited the drones who promptly decided that it was unnecessary to work themselves since others would work for them. Now, that is a classic, as far as I'm concerned, explanation of, of socialism. However, I've been thinking about this a little bit more. And I, I, I've always said, you know, the idea of being lazy and have other people work for you is a, is a, um, it's such an attractive part of socialism, if you will. Like, you mean I can just sit around and watch ESPN2 or 1 and other people work for me, bring me food, whatever? But, you know, thinking about this... Um, Recently, I was thinking about Judas, and I was thinking about what happened with Judas when the uh, woman came with the expensive perfume and broke it and and put it on Jesus, and Judas, of course, gets indignant. And so there's another aspect of socialism that I hadn't considered as much, and that is the aspect of self-righteousness. Listen to this. Uh, John says this, um, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not 
not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. And Jesus says, of course, um, hey, let, let her alone. Now, I, this is an intriguing passage to me because socialists love statistics, right? And, and Judas is right out there with a 300 denarii. You know, he, he knew just how much that was worth. And, and how many mm. poor people we could help with this. That's true. And, and, and John's got the commentary. It, was, it wasn't going to the poor people, folks. It was going into his pocket. But what about the self-righteous aspect of it? Listen to this from, from Matthew. And this, th- this is very concerning for all of us. And when Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the Leber, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So he poured it on his head and his feet, obviously all over him. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor? Oh, wait a minute now. It's spreading to the disciples. Now, we like to, uh, we like to hit, the, hit Judas with this, but it immediately spread to the disciples. They're saying the same thing as Judas is. And I was thinking about this. They did not have their hand in the till. What was with them? I was, and I was thinking about how attractive um, self-righteousness is to be able to sit and, and, and judge other people. You know, these, these, these BLMers and these Antifa people that are burning down buildings and so forth, what is part of their motivation? You know what? They get to be self-righteous. They get, you know, that guy in the suit or whatever, that Wall Street guy, the guy with a nice house, you know what? I'm still more righteous than he is because I care and, and he doesn't. And that attractiveness of being self-righteous, of saying, I am more, I, I haven't done anything in the case of the rioters. All they've done is destroy. But what, a, what an attractive thing it is to be able to say, I'm righteous, you're not. And I actually believe that that is part of the attractiveness of socialism. Not just the envy, not just the wanting of, of someone else's goods, but to be able to say in, in your mind, yeah, I, I'm the righteous one, you're the bad one. And that, I believe, is an attractiveness that we always have to watch out for. I, I, I'm, just as an example, how many times have you heard people say, um, well, you know, um, the reason why the state had to get involved in charity was because the church wasn't doing its mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And we stand around and say, like, yeah, 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 you know, you know, because I'm very concerned that the poor get taken care of, so let's give it to the state. Give it to the state. Are you are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I mean, the church may have not been the greatest at it, but but the church invented charity while the state was burning the villages and selling the children into slavery. And you're standing around, Mr. Self Righteous christian person and saying yeah you know the, 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 let, let's let's give it to the state no, no stop it already get back to the scriptures understand the attractiveness of self-righteousness and the fact of the matter is that we have even the disciples attack, lining up with judas this socialist of his day this thief of his day because of that attractiveness of self-righteousness. And if we don't have the scriptures in front of us all the time to challenge our self-righteousness, we'll fall into those exact same uh, patterns of thinking, if you will. And the fact that, in the end, the fact is that socialism, I think, drives actually on two things. Envy of, you know, uh, envy of uh, my neighbor's goods and that inside idea that in the end, 
I'm actually better than you because I care, and you don't. I think your analogy falls apart uh, in the beginning about the vulture because the vulture actually serves a purpose. True enough, right? I, I, yeah, so, I, yeah, I want vultures I gotta, around. Yeah, got to come up with something better. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I saw, you know, I saw a dead deer on the way in too, and I was hoping that you know um, the state would come and pick it up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> before, yeah, before the vultures got it, big pile of vultures, vultures there. But yeah, hopefully it'll be that, that that'll be picked up and eaten by the vultures eventually. But you're right, vultures do have some purpose, whereas the uh, state, when it gets involved in the uh, uh, in the charity business uh-huh. is much better at taking and terrible at giving. You, you talked about the um, you talked about the the people who who find not working attractive. I think those are the low level socialists. I think those are the those are the cage stage socialists. I think they're the real socialists are the ones who want to get the top and want to kill people. Those are the real ones. I think the, 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 the cage stage where it's like I'm out of college and I don't feel like working. I think the man's been stealing from me my entire life and everybody owes me everything. I think he's the cage stage where he's like, I want other people to work for me and I want to make it look like I'm working and I'm not. And, you know, Stalin and Mao, they weren't like all about having an easy ride. They weren't all about, you know, I, I just want an easy life. They were about like, yeah, I, I want to kill people. I just want to kill people. That's I'm I'm not happy unless people are dying, and like the um, the TV show House of Cards where Frank Underwood makes the comparison between the two types of politicians. There's a politician who wants the who wants the stick built uh, McMansion for you know millions of dollars in the best part of D.C., and then there's the politicians who want the old stone houses that have been there for years. And he said the first one wants the money. He wants the McMansion. He's all about the money. And then there's the other politician where he wants the stone. He's all about the power. And the socialists who care about, you know, like not working, they're all about the money. But then there's the socialists who care about killing people, and they're all about the power. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate power. You get to say who lives and who dies. Yeah. And Stalin apparently used to do that stuff. He, he got this great thrill because he was, he was uh, presented with these lists of people who were supposed to be killed because they were anti-revolutionary yeah. against the Soviet state, whatever. Lists and lists of people. And he, and, and he would have a good time. He'd just take his pen and like, 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 uh, go through some of the, like cross out some of the names. How cool. You know, he just granted yeah. that person life. Yeah. You know, right. what, what, what a guy. Yeah. And he loved doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a case to be made about the peer pressure that comes along with uh, socialism. And I think that your self-righteousness uh, idea is, is kind of the gravy on that. Think about when Peter uh, got carried away with uh, eating with the Judaizers. Yeah. Right? That was peer pressure. Um and, and there's an awful lot of that. And that, your story about the other disciples piling on with the spike nard and, well, we should have sold it. Yeah, 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 we should have sold it. It's a little bit of peer pressure, but the self-righteousness just greases that skid. Hmm. So I, I, don't, I, I don't know if, if, uh, if it's the self-righteousness driving it or if it's just the one, I want to get along. I want to go along with everybody I'm running with. Um, it... it a couple of weeks back, I wrote a, a, a uh, an editorial that we we put up on our site about uh, it's called a smashing good time about how I got carried away when I was a little boy. One a bunch of guys picked up a pipe and they started smashing the gourds and the pumpkins that the that the farmers across the street had grown, and uh, you know I, I didn't get up that morning thinking, gosh, 
I hope I can go out and destroy something. Mm-hmm. But everybody's running around, and they were having such a good time. And I was the little guy. Well, give me the pipe. Give me the pipe. I want to. And I never got to do that. But it's that you get carried away with it. I think that's what happens in riots. I think that it's part of what happened with the the uh, disciples there as well. Yeah, I would say that the where I'm coming from a little bit on this is some of the older stories I've uh, written, I've seen on how uh, communism became just so attractive to people because, and this may, this, uh, envy, self-rights, and wanting my neighbor's goods, I think it's all mixed together here. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea that my neighbor, and, and, and Marx taught this, the reason why my neighbor has more than me is because somehow he stole it from me. Mm. Somehow. Mm. And so I have got to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. Right. Now, now think about the Christian ideals here. You don't take what's your neighbor. It doesn't matter if he has a thousand candy bars and you have none. Okay. You don't steal from him if he owns a thousand candy bars. Marx came along and said, no, do the right thing. Steal his candy bars because he must have stolen them from you sometime, from you sometime in the past. Mm-hmm. So it does become a, I, I want his stuff. But I, I think there is an appeal there somewhere. There, there's a weird moral appeal to go do the right thing. These people that are out, you know, self-righteousness, these people that are out there burning down buildings, these, these rioters, they're not out there doing the wrong thing in their minds. Mm-hmm. They're doing the right thing. They're doing the right thing. They're the heroes in the story. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, 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 I thought they're they were the shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and see, and, and we, have, we have been doing that. I remember during the Rodney King riots. You, you're, you remember this, John. <laughs> Uh, Rodney King writes, right? And, and the, these news people were out there um, interviewing people. And they caught one young lady who was carrying off a television, right? And they said to her, he said, what are you doing? I am taking this, te- this television. She's carrying it off, right? And back then it was uh, before flat screen, so yes. it was pretty big, yeah. right? And the, the news reporter says, don't you know that this is wrong, right? This really was a while ago. And so, <laughs> and, 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 and mostly and, peaceful. Yeah, 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 mostly. And the young lady was, I think, more perceptive than most modern people. She said, "Why not? It's all free anyway." She had apparently grown up on welfare, never saw the connection be- connection between working and saving and purchasing things. She couldn't tell the difference between getting the check in the mail and going out and buying stuff. Or just taking it. And just taking it. Mm-hmm. She'd already been taught that it's not wrong by our welfare system, which is socialism, which is theft. Mm. Yeah. What do you got for us this week, John? Well, it's kind of the same thing about the self-righteousness uh, idea. Uh, two things happened, uh, or two things came across my desk this week. Um, I, this... I don't know this singer's guy named Matthew West. I don't, I've have, heard of him. Yeah. Have you heard of him? Anyway, Matthew West yesterday apologized for the song that he put up that was called "Hottest is or Modest is Hottest." Okay, he he wrote a parody song for his daughters. Ah, uh, yes, I saw this. Okay. Yes, I did see this. And, and he apologized already? Oh, it took it down. You cannot find oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Yep. What? Uh-huh. It, uh, I thought it was funny. I, I hadn't seen it, um, but the, the backlash is unbelievable, and it's, it's coming from Christians who are outraged that this guy would impose through this song his his standards of modesty on on their daughters mm-hmm. on their on their on, daughters on, on, their, on, on their daughters on and so you know it, 
he he put it up as a joke. You know, he, he's the, it, it starts out the modestest, hottest, the latest fashion trend. Mm-hmm. And he was encouraging his his girls to dress modestly, mm-hmm. you know. And but the song was about his struggle as a father, about how do I deal with my daughters? They're getting older. They're getting really attractive, and people are saying, "No, no, no, you are imposing you are imposing these crummy values." And and how dare you on that? And and so where on earth is the biblical literacy mm-hmm. of of our Christian, you know, they're they're woke, they're woke. I, w- I want to read. There's a comment here um, from somebody who it's just it, <clears throat> so another recording artist uh, said that the phrase "modest is hottest" is still entirely centered on men and their preferences in the way that women should dress. Sets up being hot as the goal for women and. Um, and it positions all men as creeps who can't handle seeing a woman's skin without becoming out-of-control monsters. It's demeaning to men and women, she says. And so that, that was one. And then there's another guy who, who is, it's worse. Um, he he's essentially says that the girl should just go on. You dress however you want. And it, if, boys, uh, if boys are going to act out, well, that's their problem, not the girl's problem. But uh, how did he say it? Just wear what you want. The latest fashion trends I probably won't get, but it's not for me to understand. You know, it's just you can't tell these girls about being pure. Hmm. And, and so I just, it, it boggles my mind that supposedly Christians can say these things and, and ignore the verses in the Bible that talk about just these things i'm pulling up uh first timothy 2 8 and 9 i desire therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel Hmm. it's biblical (laughs) titus you know the older women and and it talks about uh how they they should advise the younger women on dress among other things mm-hmm. and and the bible in proverbs in 710 proverbs 710 says and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot hmm. so you can dress like a whore or you can dress modestly hmm. and the bible has something to say about it but let's ignore scripture and be woke about it hmm. it's just and i don't know if it's if it's Bible wokeism or Christian wokeism that I'm so concerned with, or scriptural illiteracy, and that's just that. So there was the one thing that happened this week. Okay, and then my wife. Well, can, can I can I say something about that yeah, real let's, quick? Because um, I, I saw that video and oh, you saw the video before did, it was taken down. That actually did. See, I did see the whole thing. Um, I, I I understood what he was saying. Um, I think there's there's a, there's a there's a there's a fundamental misunderstanding about the word what the word hottest means because I was thinking about that phrase modest is hottest and and initially I disagreed with it because you know um, modest women are not hot in the sense if we it, it depends on what you understand as the word hot right mm-hmm. usually when people 
say the word hot, it means sexually attractive, mm-hmm. right? That's very, she's very hot. That means I'm, a, I'm, I'm physically attracted to her, right? Mm-hmm. Women dressing modestly is, is an attempt to curb that, that instant, you know, uh, sexual attraction, right? And, and to dress in a way that to not uh, draw attention to their, to their body, to, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, that's, and, and so for people to say, well, modest is hottest, uh, it's, it's like, no, it, no, no, modest is not supposed to be hot. That's, that's a, you're it's missing the, the point. Yes, yeah, yeah. the opposite. You're, you're, not, you're missing the point. Modest is not hottest. But then if you think about the word hot as being attractive, but not necessarily physically attractive, a Christian man is supposed to think long-term about things. And when he sees a woman dressing modestly, he's got to look at that and think long-term. Now, I get it. There's a lot of women out there that are, you know, cloistered and, and they're all about living back in the um, the Civil War era or the, you know, uh, War for Independence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Little House on the Prairie. And they want to make their own butter and make their own soap. And it's yeah. like, okay, there's a lot of women out there that are not just not attractive to men. They're just not because they don't come across as living in the real world. But a woman who who is dressing modestly and knows how to dress herself where she's she's still in style but she's dressing modestly is hot in this sense to a man who who's thinking long term okay i don't want to be uh find a woman that i'm i'm like like physically sexually attracted to like in such a major way because of the way she dresses because that's just telling me she's not respecting her body i don't want a woman like that or respecting I, you. Or respecting you or any, anyone else for, right. for that matter. Right. But if she is dressing modestly, I'm looking at a woman who's thinking thinking about the way that she dresses and how it affects people. And that means she's mature. So that makes it attractive. So now we're back to hot again. Right? So the, the understanding of what hot means to the world is different than what to hot means to Christians. Hot, um, you know shouldn't mean if for the christians um when we're talking about modesty shouldn't mean how physically attractive you are it it should come across as how spiritually mature you are that should be um the 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 message that a woman is trying to send in the way that she dresses not not look how physically attractive I it's am. just part of the package you know the, the, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being attractive mm-hmm. but you know you can catch somebody's eye if you're not attractive by dressing yeah. in, a, in, a, in an unusual way mm-hmm. or in an immodest way. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's, there's an attraction, but it's not the whole package. Mm-hmm. But if that's what you do, you're making it the whole package. And that's a problem. There's, there's no doubt about that. But as a dad, you, you, have to, you have to absolutely recommend that your daughters mm-hmm. dress yeah. modestly. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you're a dad, right? And so your daughter goes out and dresses immodestly and catches a man, right? Because of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, is this seriously <laughs> what long-term relationships are built on? Yeah. Are, you, are you kidding me? Marriage and so forth? And so what what's happening here is this person writing this is attacking marriage. Because what he's saying was, I don't have a problem with going after whichever girl looks hot at the moment is what he's doing. So he'll leave his wife. That, that you're not going to have a long-term marriage. He will leave his wife so soon for another hot girl whenever she gets a little older or whatever. How about when she gets pregnant, you know, and, and just isn't quite as attractive? Ah, well, whatever, I, you know, g- g- goodbye to her. Well, yeah, and I think that the, the 
I didn't go through the whole article. The, yeah. the, the last critic that, that really said, my daughters can dress however they want, it, he's, yeah. he's making the point that just go be yourself. And as your dad, I'm going to love you no matter what. That was his point. And, but it, it, it's not the way you need to think about this topic. To, to shame somebody for having a little bit of fun with his girls with a little song that says, modest is hottest, is, it's just over the top. There's no discretion here. There's no discernment. But how in the world and, are we like canceling the song? I mean, from Christians. Well, not just that. And then he caved. The, he, he caved oh, right yeah, away. I mean, he caved yeah. within, within hours. Oh, oh my word. Gosh. Wow. Well, you know, um, just one more thing about that too, John. Uh, you know, that Proverbs 7.10, there was a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She, not not really the type of woman you want your son to marry if you're interested in grandchildren and a posterity. She is was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Oh, my word. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Cutting right to the core of what we value. We don't value. We we now value women with the attire of a harlot who don't stay at home. But these people that like that, Solomon says, wisest man who ever lived, they don't have any understanding. Listen, right before I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. Mm-hmm. So the attire, the, the the harlot woman who won't stay at home who's attracting men through her dress. Who does she attract? Men, devoid, simple men, devoid of understanding. Hmm. Think about that when you're attacking modest as hottest. Yeah, anyway. It, it, it's scripturally, scripturally illiterate and it's just woke. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's okay, kind of, can't we get along with these other people too? You know, here we are. We're Christians. We we can cancel. We'll yeah. cancel people. Yeah, and then you got uh, you know Nicki Minaj and Cardi B making these you know songs that I can't even repeat on here, yeah. and they leave them up. No problem. That's totally what's, unashamed. What's the problem? Totally unashamed. And, and and what Christians have a problem with it? Probably the Christians yeah. that are have a problem with this song are probably like dancing away to Cardi B. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Useless. Hey, you know what? As Matt Truella <laughs> said, the the the. Uh, uh, and, and Matt's kind of funny because I don't know if you guys know this or not. He 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 preached a sermon on and, and he identified worthless men, right? And, and some Christians got to say, you can't say anybody's worthless, right? And he's like, well, the Bible says it, right? Yeah. It's actually in the Bible, right? And he and I were talking recently, and and you know, he said there's a split coming in in you know in, in the visible church. I'm like, I can hardly wait. I, I mean, and these. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're saying. These people that are like all upset at this song and call themselves Christians, get on the other side of the Gulf. Yeah, fast. Take. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Get on the other side of the go of of, of the Gulf and line up with the communists, uh, like you like you are like you are. Yep. Along these same lines, uh, my wife got an email from somebody this week who was repeating, actually sent along an email that she, that she had gotten. And it's it's about the Biden, uh, let's not give Biden uh, communion that the, the Catholic Church is considering. And this was a, a this guy's critique. I'm just going to read it and, and a couple of comments there. 
Uh, this guy said he hopes that each and every uh, precious clergyman would read this. All right, precious clergy being in quotes. So I want to want to write a longer piece about those bishops who seek to keep some from the table of Christ. But for now, I will say this: it's not your table nor mine. Bishops, priests, etc., are neither the hosts nor the bouncers nor the ones who wrote the guest list. The Eucharist is the resurrected body of Christ given for the life of the world. Jesus Christ is the one who invites the guests. And then in parentheses, all of you who labor. He is the host of those who come. He is the setter of the table, and he is the feast which is shared. Again in parens, take this all of you. This is my body. This is my blood. We are guests at the meal, and sometimes, by his calling, we're servers. So stay in your lane, please. The waitstaff doesn't get to exclude those who want to come. If you don't like the company Christ calls, and admittedly it is a ragtag bunch of sinners, one and all, it's you who need to leave the table, not them. Hmm. So it's if anybody presents themselves at the communion table, you got to serve them. It's not for you to say you're a sinner. And again, completely ignoring Scripture. The clergy has a huge responsibility in this. What is what is wrong with this guy? He wants to he wants to quote scripture, but he doesn't know scripture. In in Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells people, obey those who rule over you and, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. The clergy must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so if Joe Biden shows up at the communion table and and the bishop or the priest or the pope, for that matter, doesn't tell him about his sins, that's unprofitable for both the clergyman and Joe Biden to allow him to wallow in his sin of, oh, yeah, abortion's great. We should kill them all is just unconscionable. Where? What about the responsibility of the clergy? What, I mean, what, what do you be, what do you think about the fact that Christ served Judas communion? There's a case to be made. Uh, you can make a case that that before excommunication, uh, before you, official excommunication. Uh, official excommunication, you shouldn't. But right. if there's open and unrepentant sin as a clergyman, I think that you have to say something. Christ served. Did he serve? Communion? He, it, 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 some Judas, people believe that he uh, did at the Last Supper be, uh, because he dipped, you know, the... Um, yes. The, there, there was a meal there. But see, the, the, the term you use, open, is, is the one here. Because open, the sin was not open yet. We know that afterwards, they weren't serving Jude, Judas communion at all. In fact, they were throwing them out. Because the sin at that point was open. Was open. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and with, with Biden, that's the case. And you're right, John. I mean... I mean, I know we're talking about Roman Catholicism here, but this guy who writes this, does he care about Joe Biden's soul at and all? Not at all. You know, and, and the rotten thing is, and this happens every time with these woke, wicked people, at the end. Yep. Yeah, get, we're back. Yeah, you're back. We're back to. Yep. Yeah. We're guess who's throwing people out? Yep. Yeah. You know, get right at the end. He's like, well, you're the one. You can't come. Wait a minute. Yeah. You, you just went on and on saying that anybody can come and you're not the one. Yeah. He's the one throwing them out. Hey, yep. if you have that attitude, not. Yep. Thought crime. If you have that thought crime, mm-hmm. according to me, according yeah. to me, yeah, 
We know who the standard is now. It's you. It's Bible schmible. Absolutely. It yeah. just, and so it, it seems like to me, again, here's biblical illiteracy, Bible illiteracy, just on parade. Mm. It, 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 the condescending attitude, and then, you know, the cherry picking of verses. And the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Joe neo-Nazi skinhead. I'd like to take communion. That same guy is going to yeah. throw that guy out the door, feet first, head first, or bum first, yeah. whichever first, right? Yeah. He's not going to have all his sanctimonious nonsense. Yeah. yeah right. What a hypocrite. Yeah. If anyone's a racist, they won't serve yeah. him. Yeah. They won't, they won't do it. <laughs> That's right. If you, say, if you say, I'm a racist, give me communion, they'll be like, no, no, nah, no, don't give me that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, wicked hypocrites. I just, uh, it's everywhere. It's just driving me out of my mind. Wow. Okay. For, for this, this, uh, month, I saw. Uh, I, I like the way John sh- sh- closed down his computer. Like, ah. <laughs> case, case closed. Case We're closed. Done. <laughs> I uh, I wanted to read this tweet from sixth uh, uh, of July. This is from John Piper. I don't know if you guys saw this one. Sixth of July. Excuse me, Ju- um, July twelfth. Sixth. Um, wait a second. Zero six July twelfth. Hmm. Oh, maybe it was July 2012? No, wait a second. It says 06 JUL 12, 11 a.m. From 2006. Oh, is it from 2006? Yeah. I guess it is. It's an old one. Um, but I so, someone shared it recently, and uh, it says from John Piper, Prosperity cannot be a proof of God's favor, since it is what the devil promises to those who worship him. And he, he quotes Matthew 4, 9. And it's the devil telling Jesus, right. I'll give you all yeah. these, these kingdoms. And I, and I, I'm, I'm just like that. To me, to me that, you know, John Piper knows his Bible, but to me that sounds like somebody who, who's biblically illiterate would say something like that. And, and I want to read a, a passage from Job because, you know, Satan, the Bible, God, and prosperity come again together in many parts of the Bible. And I want to read this passage from Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Wait a second. I thought only Satan gave prosperity. Wait a second. Let me read that again. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And I'm going to read the, the, the tweet from, from John Piper again. Prosperity cannot be a proof of God's favor, since it is what the devil promises to those who worship him. And here's the devil in Job accusing God of saying, it's not fair that he loves you because you have, according to John Piper, given him prosperity. And here is Satan accusing God of, uh, uh, or, or accusing Job of saying, it's not fair that he loves you so much 
the reason he loves you so much is because you've blessed him. Now, if you take away all the blessings, the prosperity that you've given him, he's going to curse you. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give him into your hand. Here he is. He's yours. Do, do what you want. And what does Satan do? According to John Piper, he increases his possessions. He gives him more. Ooh, American greed. Uh, it's the favorite, you know, it's the favorite ghost problem for pastors to attack from the pulpit. You know, it's wrong problem. We're just greedy, man, because we have all these possessions and we're just like, we're so greedy. Oh my goodness. Let me preach a whole sermon on greed and we don't even define what greed is, but you know, Americans have more. That means we're greedy. We just want more. How much is, how much is enough, John? Just, just a little more. <laughs> but I, I, I look at this, I, I, and, and then when we get when we get into Satan's hand, he doesn't increase our prosperity. Doesn't John know that the promise of Matthew four nine is a lie, and Satan cannot in give you prosperity, even if like hypothetically, has anyone even thought about hypothetically if Christ would have said, yeah, okay, I worship you, that Satan would have actually done that. That Satan would have actually like given him. Oh, here, here you go. Like, has Satan ever given anybody anything? You know what I'm saying? Like, th- Satan cannot bless you. He cannot prosper you. Prosperity comes from the Lord. So, yes, a sign of of the Lord's blessing is prosperity. Now, we read from Psalms that the wicked prosper, but that that comes from the Lord. That doesn't come from Satan. God gives the increase, not Satan. Satan wouldn't know how to prosper an ant farm. Well, Christ said the thief doesn't come to steal, kill, destroy. Yes. That's what he's good at. That's what he's good at. That's what Satan does. And when when God says, okay, here you go. You're in charge. Here's Job. And according to many Americans, Satan, if they didn't know the rest of the story, Satan would increase increase his possessions and turn his heart away from the Lord. No, it didn't. In fact, the, the, the possessions were turning Job's heart more and more towards the Lord. The possessions were turning Job towards God, according to Satan himself. So why, why would you say something like that? I mean, to me, that's, that's biblically illiterate. Have you, have you not read? Have you, don't you look at societies where Satan is in control? The Indians that have never heard the gospel, have never been, you know, uh, the, the, the native peoples who have never been exposed. Do they have all these possessions? Do they have like this rich lifestyle with cars and airplanes and, you know, the jet set attitude? No, they're running around in diapers with spears. When Satan is your God, he takes away your possessions. He destroys everything. I don't understand how a pastor who knows so much like that could say that prosperity, um, you know, uh, comes from Satan in any way, shape or form. I, 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 it just boggles my mind. I go back. I always go back to that that example of of when Steve Saint was trying to build that airstrip, and I tell this story all the time. But it's true, and and they were trying to get out that log, they were trying to get out that stump, and they were trying to pull it out. The Indians were trying to pull it out, and Steve was like, "Okay, I'm going to grab a pole, I'm going to stick it underneath the roots, and then I'm going to start jumping up and down on the pole, and use something amazing called leverage, which is." Totally normal for every single American that's ever lived. Totally normal for us to, to the concept of leverage to utilize weight and gravity and, and leverage to get the stump out of the ground. Before he starts jumping on it, the Indians laughed at him and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to get the stump out with it, using a different method. And they said, no, you're not. So he started jumping up and down on the pole, 
The stump comes flying out, obviously. No surprise there. But to them, they were like, what? How did you do that? And he said, we didn't get anything done for the rest of the day because we kept the, – the Indians were going over with poles and sticking them under stuff and jumping up and down on them and, and, and showing their friends this new technology called leverage. Now, these these Waodani, they're from Ecuador. They either came from the Incas, they either came from the Aztecs, or they came from the Mayans, all of which knew about leverage. If you want to build those cool buildings they made, you had to know about leverage. Had to. How did they lose that technology? Because Satan was their God. He doesn't give the increase. He doesn't bless you in that way. He destroys everything. And I, I, I just I, I can't believe that anybody, especially John Piper, would say something, in my opinion, so ignorant. Yeah, well, it, it it's like you said, it's a favorite whip anymore. If you don't have a topic and you're a pastor, you can you can drag out greed, right? And who's greedy? I'll tell you who's greedy. Anyone who has, a, as a pastor even, anyone who has a little bit more than you, obviously greedy. Hmm. And think about it. If you're in this country and you have a air conditioning in your house and, and a car and, and so forth, you're better off than 90-whatever percent of people that live in the world. But you're not greedy. And I think Piper is, frankly, falling into that type of a thing, really. It's so easy to whip up on people that have stuff. I remember hearing uh, David Platt, you know, when, when he was a pastor in, in Alabama, he preached a series of, uh, you know, a radical, radical, be radical Christianity, right? And I heard a couple of his sermons, and he's talking about all this stuff, you know, that we have. And it was really a vague sermon. It was vaguely directed at people that have stuff. And he couldn't tell in the sermon what you're supposed to do. Yard sale? Uh, it, it, I, you know, what, what's the what's the allowable level mm -hmm. that I'm allowed to have and still be a good Christian, mm -hmm. right? Well, that was when he was in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Well, now he's pastor of McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia, one of the richest churches I guarantee in all of North America. And somehow I believe I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> I'm out on a limb, but I don't think he's living in a trailer park. Didn't oh, he go to Africa and come back? No, that was. Oh. I think he might be thinking of Vody Bauckham. No, Vody Bauckham's still there, but I'm pretty sure. I thought I thought he actually did go to Africa for a little bit and come back. I, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I think know. he came straight from Alabama or to was he just, McLean. Okay, was he just telling everyone else to go to Africa? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I want to – you all know I'm not a, a big fan of Piper because of his stance on the Ten Commandments, you know. Which ones should we obey? Oh, well, obey the loving ones. Loving ones. Thanks, John. Yeah. Now, th there's insight. Um, but I want to be fair to Piper here on, on this. Um, it, the, the tweet that you read there, Luke, uh, he said that uh, prosperity doesn't prove God's blessing. And, and that, that itself can be true. Yeah, that part of it. It can be true. I agree. And I think what happened is whoever tweeted that out is the person that you have your, your, your problem with. Because I think that person is making a jump that says, that, that Piper is saying prosperity, although it doesn't prove it, it's, I don't think Piper said it's never because God didn't bless somebody. He said prosperity doesn't prove God's blessing. It's, it, you, can't, you can't look at your prosperity and say, well, obviously God doesn't have a problem with me because I'm prosperous. Right. All right. And it, so it seems to me if he would have just stopped at the first half, we'd be yes, good. Exactly. That's, yes, that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. That's true. It's not the first that's half, true. it's the right. second half. But I think that the person who's tweeting this is making it an either or. 
either God blesses you or the devil blesses you. I think that the person tweeting that has that intent. I don't know that Piper had that intent. And I, I just want to be fair to Piper on, on this. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's a good observation. Thank you for pointing that out. But I, I let me let me be clear. Yep. Prosperity cannot be a proof of God's favor. I agree. Fair because right. many, many people. They go there. Yes. Right, well, many, many righteous and godly people who are 10 times more godly and righteous than everybody in this room have a lot less than us. Oh, right? Yeah. So that's true. But if, like you said, if you just would have stopped there, since it is what, since, since, I, since yeah, it I is what the devil promises to those who worship him. And, and, and the second half identifies as the devil being able to give us prosperity. Yeah, it does. It, it does. And, and that's, that's the issue. I'm I not think. arguing with your point yeah. that the devil doesn't prosper us. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to be fair to Piper because I've spent years piling on. Yes, <laughs> he doesn't need any more than than, than what uh, um, than what uh, you've already given him. I want to read one more verse, Deuteronomy eight. Um, uh, verse 6 through 10, four verses here. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land of, uh, uh, into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of figs and trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall feel really bad and write a book about how prosperity is terrible and go live in Africa where nobody is prosperous and you'll feel bad and tell other people to feel bad about the wealth that the Lord has given you because David Platt wrote a cool book called Radical Love (laughs) or something like that. And okay, so I'm abusing the verse. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say when you're eaten and are full then you should feel bad about all the wealth that you have. It says, let me read you the verse, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. That is our appropriate response for the wealth that we have is thankfulness. Praise and thankfulness because all good and perfect, every good and perfect thing comes from above. It does not come from Satan. And a thankful attitude is something we should have regardless of our financial prosperity true uh, it's we're we're commanded to have that thankful attitude. the the fact that we're sitting up and breathing yes means that we should but, be thankful but but look at look at the but look at this given us so much more look at the 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 application of of christ's promise that my yoke is easy and my burden is light when i give you these things the appropriate response is not to whip yourself because you're such a bad person yeah or, or because you're white or because you're white the appropriate response is to say thank you that's all i want from you yeah in this in this situation when you have all this stuff yeah. i don't want you to go out and fight a war i don't want you to give half of it to the poor i want you just to be thankful that's the yoke is easy and my burden is light that's the appropriate response every other religion when you have all this stuff is either to throw it in god's face and say i got it because of who I am, or it's to feel bad and and destroy it and give it all away and say, ooh, physical Adam's bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a dualism. Um, my uh, fellow pastor, Ron Kranz, has uh, 
you know, encouraging um, us to his some of his fellow pastors to consider a, a month of, of repentance and, and try to think what what that looks like. Because honestly, as a pastor, it's, it's sometimes a hard thing for me to get my arms around. I mean, personally, yes, I, I, I get that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Um, what's it look like more more corporately? And and so we're trying to think that through. And he, he threw out a verse um, here last week from Ecclesiastes 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you will not know what evil will be on the earth. There's a reason why we accumulate stuff, right? You don't know what evil is going to be on the earth. But I, I'm really intrigued with that given a portion to seven and, a, and, a, and a, even to eight. That is really serious production. That is like, wow. And you know what? You turn in a godly society. <laughs> see, the socialists, all they can do is divide up the pie. They, they, they can't create a pie. Mm-hmm. We have 77 years of Soviet communism. And what do they, what do they give us? The AK, right? A, 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 a gun. And didn't they throw that guy in prison after a while, too, because he's getting too much popularity, right? <laughs> but you, you have a free society, a godly society of people that govern themselves. Ecclesiastes is saying they, they can actually support seven or eight other people. And that's one of the reasons why we love freedom under Christ. Because in that way, we really can love and serve our neighbor. The only way to love and serve our neighbor to properly understand and apply the principles of God's Word, the full counsel of God in all areas of life. This has been another production of the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society Thinking Reform Podcast. This is Joel and John and Luke saying thank you everybody for listening and we will see you guys next time. Next time.
So a belief is something that you hold, uh, but it stops short of knowledge, which is something that you know definitively and for sure and without a shadow of a doubt. If religious believers truly knew for sure based on reason alone, there would be no room for faith. In fact, Jesus' command to have faith, that faith is really what saves us, would become meaningless because it doesn't take any faith for me, me to believe in trees. It doesn't take any faith for me to believe in my wife standing right here in front of me and producing this podcast. Uh, I don't have to believe in Debbie. Why? Because I know her. She's right here. Belief is one step short of knowledge, and it creates room for faith. Now, you might say, Dinesh, well, if that's the case, why believe anything? Why, do you, why don't you just wait until you have knowledge? And the reason is that when it comes to some issues, and life after death is one of them, you can't have full knowledge. You never will. There's no amount of scientific experiments that you can do, not just in the past or now, but even in the future, that could establish whether there is, you might say, another world behind the world and a destiny beyond the grave. There is no way to know such things. And so it was the philosopher Immanuel Kant who said, where reason cannot go, belief is not irrational. Belief is not irrational. Why? It is superstitious to believe in things when reason can contradict them. And so, for example, if I say, for instance, that there are people walking around on this earth who have four eyes, that's verifiable. We can go around and check out every single human on the planet and see if there's one with four eyes. That can, that's refutable. But can you refute the idea that there's life after death? No. There's no amount of evidence that you can produce. And in fact, you don't have any. Uh, neither do I. This is in the realm of pure belief. So, bottom line, why... Do believers believe at all? You might say if they can't be sure, what, what good does it do them? What's the point of it? Well, number one, belief in God helps to provide an explanation for the universe, for why there is a universe, for what purpose we have in life, for why there is a moral order, for why there's right and wrong, and why this knowledge of right and wrong seems somehow embedded in us. And it's not an extension of Darwinian survival or self-interest. In fact, our conscience usually militates against it. Belief in God gives us a ground for hope that when we lose loved ones, we might see them again, that we might have a destiny that goes beyond the grave. And finally, the reason people believe in God and the reason I believe in God is quite simply because of the experience of God. The believer has a experience of God that is no, not fundamentally different from any other experience that we have, not just experience of other people, but even that inner experience that tells us that, that there is a part of ourselves that is unreachable by other people. Think about it. When you see me or you hear me, you hear the outer Dinesh. You hear what I say. You see what I look like. But the inner Dinesh, what's going on, you may say, in my mind or in my soul, you have no idea. That's why you can't, there's no one who can genuinely read my mind because that is interior. But even though you don't know and no one else knows, I know I have a direct experience that is inner. And so the experience of God is like that. The experience of God is inner experience, but it is no less real for that. And it's no less real for not being sort of scientifically verifiable because the mode of knowing God is interior and not exterior. So I commend Neil deGrasse Tyson for making a bold statement in a very important debate, one that 
covers issues I want to address regularly on this show. But the bottom line of it is that he's saying, and I agree, that in terms of reason, we don't know things, but we still are not irrational. In fact, there's every good reason to believe in them.